Welcome to the latest ATP podcast with me, Chris Bowers, which comes to you from South East England on the eve of the 136th Wimbledon Championships, a tournament that dates back to 1877, making it the oldest of the four majors. This week, we hear from some current stars of the game, hoping to do well at Wimbledon, and a few from the past, reminiscing on some of their favourite moments on the hallowed turf. Mats Villander, Stefan Edberg, Stefan Tsitsipas, Holger Rune and Carlos Alcaraz are all to come. Plus Jill Kravis asks Tim Henman for his top male grass court players of all time. But first, and staying with Jill, she joined me after the Wimbledon draw was made and I asked her whether Carlos Alcaraz, who's in the top half, will have a tougher time of it than the defending champion Novak Djokovic will in the bottom. The top half for me is, is pretty loaded. There's so many matches I think that are that could be really tough first rounds for a lot of players and some of the seeds as well. So I think that top half is really stacked for Alcaraz. And Alcaraz plays Jeremy Shardy first round, which um, Shardy can play pretty well on grass. He likes to come into the net sometimes. So I think he could do pretty well. But I think Alcaraz in particular, he got his first grass court tournament under his belt by winning Queens. And so he was the one that said that he started, even he feels a lot more comfortable on the grass he's starting to feel really good so I think he's he's going to be okay but there are a lot of matches in that top half that are really tough I mean he's got a potential run in we mustn't look too far ahead but third round Jerry fourth round Zverev quarterfinal Runa now even though he clearly can play on grass those will be tough tests if he has to play them yeah, very tough. I mean, I think uh, I was just talking with someone the other day about who they felt like would be potentials to, of course, go all the way besides like a Djokovic and an Alcaraz. And those were two of them, Zverev and Runa, I think, can play really good. Runa was starting to look more comfortable on grass at Queens when I saw him. He just played Murray um, on another grass court event. And Zverev, even though he maybe still isn't back 100%, I feel like he's slowly getting better and better. And I think he's a very, very dangerous on the grass. As for Djokovic, I don't see a threat to him until the fourth round. There he might play Hurkacz, who's taken a set off him at Wimbledon before. And uh, there's all sorts of people in the bottom quarter of the draw who could be a, uh, useful opponents for him. Musetti is one and uh, possibly Andre Rublev in the quarterfinals. Yeah, and I, I think there's a couple in there that are that are sneaky, just in general in the bottom half. I don't I'm like you, Chris, I don't necessarily love looking too far ahead, but the you know, the the ones that stand out to me, Kyrios is in there, Bublik is in there who just won a title on the grass and Fritz is in there as well. He has a tough first round against Hoffman, who's been doing really well. So there are a lot that could really push Novak, I think. Okay, let's abandon the cliches about uh, just uh, doing one round at a time and focus on first round (laughs) matchups. Who do you think, uh, who jumps out at you from the draw? Which matches? Um, well, I think definitely one is uh, sits a pass against Dominic Team. Now, I know Team's been struggling a little bit, and maybe so sits a pass, and so sits a pass. Good point. Yeah, and you know maybe grass isn't his best surface, or and sits a pass as well. So that's going to be a battle. I mean, that's sort of up in the air about which one's going to th- come through that match. But those are two big names that are have to play each other in the first round. And and whoever wins that match plays the winner of Ryan Pennison and Andy Murray, two uh, players from Great Britain that have to play each other. That's a really tough first round, I think, just because it's never easy playing your own countryman. There's always nerves and different circumstances in that regard. I think some other ones, this is all in the top half, by the way, but I think some other ones um, 
Zhang plays Van de Zanskop in the first round. I think there's two Italians that play each other, Berrettini and Sonigo. Sonigo's been playing extremely well lately. Berrettini, as we know, has been struggling with some injuries, but very, very exceptional grass court player. So he's one that could just come out and play lights out if he's feeling healthy. Um, who else? And I also, also think Fuksovic Greek Spore is a tough first round. Fuksovic has done well at Wimbledon in the past. Greek Spore has been playing exceptionally well. So I think those are some really tough ones. In the bottom half, I mentioned Hoffman and Fritz. And um, Bubuk plays Mackie McDonald and Kyrgios Goffin, which is an interesting one to me because neither one have played a ton of tennis. Kyrgios is finally back, and Goffin has been struggling, hasn't played a ton of tennis. So those are the ones to me that stand out. Yeah, that's an interesting draw for Kyrgios. In fact, it might be the best possible draw for him because although Goffin has been a quarter-finalist at Wimbledon, he's not a natural grass quarter, whereas Kyrgios is probably going to feel good the moment he gets on the grass, assuming he's fully fit. And I think also, you know, Kyrgios hasn't hasn't really played that much. And someone with Goffin's game style, he's going to get to hit a lot of balls, which is going to help Kyrgios almost get into his rhythm. He's not going to... You know, Goffin's not the type of player that's going to power you off the court. So Kyrgios is going to need sort of those long rallies to, to start to feel a little bit more comfortable. So I think that's actually a good first match for him, for someone who hasn't played in a while. The voice of Jill Krabus. And Jill will be back on the show later to talk to Tim Henman and focus on which of the Americans she thinks have the best chance of going far at Wimbledon. And we'll return to the subject of Nick Kyrgios too. Fresh from his title at the ATP 500 event at London's Queen's Club, the world number one Carlos Alcaraz has already hit the green ground running, but having limped out of Roland Garros with cramp, Richard Connolly asked the Spaniard how he's feeling, heading back into the best of five format. Well, uh, yeah, it was a uh, uh, same that uh, he had to end like that, you know, but uh, of course I have to, to find the positive things about that. That match, the, the tournament, it, it was uh, really good to win for, for me in the French Open. I have to take that. And uh, of course, I, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling better. You know, I, I like to play on grass. You know, my style switched really, really well on, on grass. So let's see what's, uh, what's going, going on. How do you feel your style suits the grass? Well, uh, you know, for me, for me, it's great. You know, because I just have to you know be focused on on the movement not on my style so uh, you know if I move well uh, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be great how was your serve on grass it's getting better <laughs> you know it's not like Usner but let's say it's, uh, it's better than last year <laughs> who was your inspiration on the grass courts when you watched Wimbledon as a younger man. Who was your inspiration as a grass court player? Of course, I, I would say every place uh, says fair. Of course, I try to, you know, watch videos uh, about fair playing on Wimbledon, playing on grass. But sometimes it's uh, not really well, you know, because you want to be like fair and it's, it's impossible, you know. But of course, I look in. Uh, I look a lot fair and uh, it's my role model, let's say, on grass. What specific parts of his game would you like to to emulate? The, the elegance that uh, he hits, the, the the shots that he plays, he moves really well. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, he uh, he makes the tennis uh, on grass easy. So, 
What are your expectations then for everyone's expectations of you are very high at the moment? Well, uh, I always say that the coming in into every tournament that uh, I think that I'm able to win it, I'm able to do a good result, so uh, it's not, it's not going to be different. Uh, I think that the, uh, I can win the tournament, I can win the, every tournament, so but obviously I as I said, I have not too, man, too many matches on, on my back and I have to, to leave more experience on grass. But, uh, you know, let's see uh, how, how I'm going to play. Isn't it wonderful to hear Alcaraz seeking to emulate not just the successes of past champions, but the elegance of Roger Federer too. Alcaraz has sort of taken over from Federer as the player the fans most want to see play. Another of Alcaraz's generation who'll be looking to do well is the Dane Holger Rune, and he admitted to Candy Reid that thoughts of Wimbledon are even starting to creep into his subconscious. I've dreamed at Wimbledon <laughs> a couple of times, um, but uh, again, you know, Wimbledon is a is a prestigious tournament and one of the biggest out there. So I have uh, always dreamed of winning that tournament, and uh, you know, first of all, there is uh, some adjustments to do on the grass to be able to to find my my best game, and uh, yeah, I think one day it can suit me very well. What do you think works for your game on the grass and what do you still have to master? I think uh, I, th- I would consider myself as a good mover, which is important on grass. Um, and uh, yeah, I like to play aggressive, come forward to the net, which also in theory should be effective on grass. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just really to be like, I call it like open-minded, to be like happy and not to stress when you play because obviously I haven't had that many great experience yet on the grass, but you know, you build those. You mentioned happy when your mum says uh, the most important thing for her is that you're happy. Yeah. What's the most important thing for you? You know, it's, it's very important to stay positive and I think that's where, you know, I play the best is when, when I'm positive and I, I enjoy what I'm doing um, and that's where I find the best game, the most enthusiasm and uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm happy right now. So. I heard a great story the other day from Nick Monroe, a guy you play doubles with. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that you played a two-hour doubles match, which you won. Before that, you played a three-hour singles match, which you'd lost. Then you asked him to go and practice, and he said, no, I'm tired. You went out for another two hours between 9 and 11, and he said the reason he knew that was because you walked past him in the hotel. So that day, you'd played yeah. five hours of tennis matches plus two hours of practice. Where do you find the energy? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm the kind of person, if something goes wrong, I don't stop and think it's going to go well by itself. I work for it. And, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, if you want to get better at something in life, you've got to work for it and you've got to put in the hours and not just hours, but the right hours, you know, the the right amount of practice, work smart. Yeah, and I think that was in Australia, I guess, that's where we played doubles in Adelaide. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's a great guy. We had a lot of fun on the court. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was a good moment. Are you finding anything's changed now you're no longer a teenager? Yeah, it's uh, it sounds better not to be a teenager, <laughs> to be honest. I don't know. I feel like there's so many, like, yeah. I don't know. It's not bad to be a teenager, but there's more, like, <laughs> things about it. So, yeah, I'm enjoying to be 20 now. You're very grown up now. And just finally, it seems like you've got a very close-knit team around you, and you have fun with them. Is that important to you? Because there is a lot of downtime, isn't there, in tennis tournaments? Yeah, it's it's very important to have a team that you enjoy to be around. And uh, I definitely do. I have passionate people in my team, and... Uh, you know, we, we're all, all good re- with each other. We respect each other. And uh, it's, uh, it's nice to have uh, such a nice team around me. Holger Runa, thank you very much for speaking with us. You're welcome. Thank you. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. 
Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. It's been a long time since the golden American generation of Sampras, Courier, Agassi, Martin and Chang in the 1990s. And it was as far back as 2000 when Sampras won the last of his seven Wimbledon titles. But the current American crop are hunting in a pack and threatening to win titles at the very top of the game. So I put it to Jill Krabus, the player who beat Serena Williams to reach the fourth round at Wimbledon 18 years ago, whether the only thing the Americans are missing is that one player who makes the ultimate breakthrough. Yeah, I think we're starting to see it a a little bit more. I think, obviously, Fritz uh, in the top 10 and getting into the top five earlier this year. So it it is that push. And I think when you have a player that makes a push like that, it seems possible for other players. And I think you're starting to see that. And all the Americans talk about how they're such a tight-knit group. I've spoken to a few of them, and they just say that that's what they love. They love being able to push each other on the court. And yet, even if there's that rivalry or competitiveness on the court, they can still hang out and they're still all supporting each other off the court. And I think when you have a group like that doing that, that's why there's so many that are in the top 100 and that are continuing to rise. Fritz got to the quarterfinals last year, should perhaps have beaten Nadal, given that Nadal was ailing. Is Fritz the one that the Americans are looking to in the sense that he has come further than most or could it be any one of three or four? I think I think you always look to the one that has had the best success at the slams and I mean obviously you have to throw Tiafo in there as well and Tommy Paul just had a great Australian Open so I think because Fritz was the one that sort of made that made that slam break breakthrough, I think I don't think it's a surprise that Tiafo then had a breakthrough. Tommy Paul was able to. JJ Wolf did well at the Australian Open as well. Ben Shelton. So you're starting to see them all kind of follow in Fritz's footsteps. They're all making those deeper runs into the slam. So I think you know there's always going to be one of those that leads the pack. And I think Fritz has continuously just pushed himself so much. He's one of the biggest competitors out there he always wants to play I think the struggle with his coach Mike Russell is bringing him back trying to force him to take some breaks from tournaments but you you want to have that problem you want to you want to have a player that's willing to fight and play and be competitive so I think when you not only see him being successful but you see that drive in certain players it it does spur you on it does make you want it more and I think because they know all each other's personalities and they know they're fighting I think it gives you incentive to do more we've looked at Taylor Fritz Tommy Paul Francis Tiafo. what about some of the lesser Americans who are in the top 100 who could make a surge I mean the obvious one that jumps out at me on grass Mm -hmm. is Maxime Cressy because of the way he serves and volleys but maybe I'm out of date on that one no I don't think so I mean I think that's a perfect surface for his style game we we also forgot to mention Sebastian Corda who's made a resurgence after injury I feel like he has got such a he's one of my favorite players he's got such a great game all-around game um yeah I agree with you Cressy, I, I think all of them really, I'm not very good at leaving people out because I don't like to because you never know. But Cressy on grass for sure. I mean, Eubanks has made a huge push getting into the top 100. And Mackie McDonald, I think, is a great player too. I think he just needs the consistency. He proved he can beat the top players being an adult at the Australian Open. It's just having that consistency of believing you can do it over and over again. And I think that's the case for, for a lot of players. So if I have to put you on the spot, who's going to be the next American men's singles champion at Wimbledon and when? That is putting me on the spot. Um, I mean, if you go by ranking, you would say Fritz, but 
I always think I always feel like Corda is going to be a Grand Slam champion. When? When? Next year, sometime. Don't ask me which tournaments. <laughs> Maybe next year, someday. But it's hard, Chris, because then there's Tiafo and Paul. I don't know. There's too many. Well, if there are too many, that's a nice problem to have. Many countries would love to be unable to choose who their next Grand Slam titleist is. You get the sense it's only a matter of time before an American wins another major. Well, you have to go back 23 years to find an American male Wimbledon singles champion. You only have to go back two to find a Croatian pairing who've lifted the men's doubles title. After a stuttering start to 2023, Nikola Mektic and Matej Pavic have won two titles in three weeks on the grass of Stuttgart and Eastbourne. So I put it to them that the grass swing has revived their season. We always played good on grass, I have to say. Uh, we haven't lost too many matches in this third year now together on, on grass court. Uh, we were unfortunate last year. I played injured that final in Wimbledon and uh, one year in Queens we just got back from COVID. So, so that was kind of, you know, let's say we lost the first proper match this year in Queens. So, I mean, every year we play good on grass and yeah, it's been a little bit of a tough year from the beginning and we kind of, you know, find our form on grass, helped us a little bit and now, yeah, like you said, second title, we won a lot of matches, so definitely going to help us out to get to Wimbledon next week. Nicola, what is it about grass that brings out the best in you? Is, it, is there something about the surface or is it less important in doubles? I'd say I always thought it's less important. Uh, I still think it's not so important like in singles maybe, but uh, I guess this year... Is might be the proof that it really is with us. It really is about the surface, because like uh, I mean, previous years we 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 dominated on grass, but we also kind of dominated on the other surfaces. We were always in the top, but this year we were really struggling until we came to the grass. So, um, it must be the surface really, and uh, it's it, I guess it suits suits our game and uh, definitely the best surface for us. Mate. Last two times you've won Eastbourne, you've gone on to reach the Wimbledon final. What do you remember about two years ago when you actually won it? What stands out in your memory for that day at Wimbledon? I mean, uh, what I do remember is that match point goes through my mind. We, we were up 6-5 match point, break point actually, and uh, he hit a great return. Uh, we got a little pick-up volley back. He loved them. And then we got three smashes, two of mine, one of his. And we were so, so shaky on those first two. You know, you know, you don't want to miss it. You just want to play it. And then I went for the third one and we eventually won the point. And that signs, somehow that sticks in my head, head from that uh, final because also, I mean, it was... It was a tough match. It was 6-5 in the fourth. Uh, if you don't break, you go tie break. It was almost about 11 o'clock. If you potentially lose that set, you're coming back next day playing the fifth set. So that was, that was kind of the, the thing that I remember the most, let's say. It's interesting you remember the actual tennis aspect of it. I mean, was there a feeling you remember? Is there something you'll be feeling telling is, people? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to describe the feeling. Uh, I think I spoke about it a lot of times and uh, we all kind of in Croatia, we, especially me coming from Split, we grew up on Goran's Wimbledon 2001 and that kind of sticks to you and like Wimbledon is there. That's Wimbledon and then the rest, you know, the Grand Slam, everything is down. Wimbledon is the 
the the thing and you want to win it you know since you're a kid you want to you're dreaming of that you know being there and it was it was a special special feeling and i i lost the final before that also tough one in five sets so also everything just kind of you know released everything went out you know so the emotions and everything so it was a nice feeling which is which is tough to tough to describe nicola what's your main recollection from that final two years ago up to for up to today we we still talk about that point because it was so it was unbelievable yeah those, those three smashes uh, could have gone we both still think that could have gone anywhere if we we lost that point so uh, but about the feelings, like Mate said, it's really tough to tough to describe. But like, just first five, ten seconds, like you get those goosebumps through throughout your whole body, and then it's just really, really like pure happiness. And generally, it stays to this day. Whenever you remember it, it's something that like everybody says, nobody can take this away from you. And whenever you remember you have that title it's just a warm feeling so what does it do to the motivation for winning it a second time or is the first time always going to be the best i think every i think every title is special last year we we had a heartbreaking loss uh, it was also final to to remember one match to 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 remember it's also fifth tyrick in a fifth set i mean it's also, even though we lost, it's one of the matches I will, I will definitely remember till the rest of my life. It was full of emotions and everything. So also nice experience, but hurts now when you don't have the title. But I don't think, I don't think you can be happy just with one and then the rest are, you, you feel less happy. I don't know, maybe when you win 23 like Djokovic, then it's different. But I don't think second or third are going to no you're going to be you know, you're, you're going to be less emotional I think it's the same. And Mate, uh, Croatia obviously doesn't have the top singles players at the moment. Does that mean that you feel you're very much flying the flag at the place where Goran had Croatia's great triumph? Maybe in a way just maybe for let's say for this Wimby uh since like you said I wouldn't say we have the top guys Borna Borna Choric is I guess rank 13, 14, top 15 in the world, but we don't have Marin uh, for the maybe first time in I don't know last years and years. And he played the final there. He was always kind of a favorite to go to go deep in the tournament. So yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately he had that injury with the knee, so he had to skip the grass court season. But uh, yeah, I mean we have few guys in the singles. We for years now we always have a good. Good doubles players uh, there. Us last two years, uh, 2017, I played the final. Dodig winning a mix there, playing final also. So there's been always, you know, Croatians out there going good, playing good. And yeah, that's. I hopefully this year somebody will play good again. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. One man who'll be forever synonymous with Wimbledon, having reached the semi-finals on four occasions and unofficially having a hill named after him as well, is Tim Henman. Jill walked up the hill with Tim to speak about some of the other great male players to have graced tennis's original surface and first of all to get his take on today's players, starting with Carlos Alcaraz. He's already been world number one, he's won a slam, he's 20, he's going to win a lot, you know, hopefully he stays healthy. But you need those rivalries, and I think Sinner, I think Holgeruna, I think Auger Elias is still young. Um, 
I want to see Jack Draper in that conversation because I think he's very good. I, I see him definitely, you know, top 20, knocking on the door of the top 10. Um, he struggles a little bit, um, you know, with his body at the moment. He's had a lot of injuries. Um, and likewise, on the women's side, I think, you know, Sviontek, Sabalenka, Coco Goff's been around for four years. She's only 19. Um, so I, I think there are those great stories, but rivalries, you know, are, are you know, kind of what draws people in. It draws tennis fans, but it, it draws people from outside the sport. And who, so who are you predicting will be the biggest rivalries? I think uh, Alcaraz and Sinner right now. Okay, last question, because I know you yeah, have sorry. duties to go. Your all-time men's top 10 players on grass, and I, that's including you. Okay, I know thank you. Already, you already made the yeah, list. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm just thinking who the other nine are. <laughs> exactly. Um, You're number one. My number one's Federer. Okay. Well, I mean, I think you're probably going to go in, in kind of order of titles. I mean, you know, Sampras has to be there. Djokovic has to be there. You know, Borg, Leiva. I, I, I think it's very difficult to compare eras, you know, for obvious reasons. And um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, Murray's up there. Uh, Edberg, Becker. There's a lot. There's a lot, yeah. yeah. And and again, so if I, if I could change, again, so just along that sort of line of questioning with grass court tennis if I could change one thing in the sport I would bring back more variation in the surfaces I think we've got too uniform so I would make grass a little bit quicker yeah I mean it's it was becoming a bit of a serving competition at the end of the 90s when I was playing and you know was that appealing but again it it was appealing because there was you know variation there were people serving a volley whereas the, the, the level of tennis is phenomenal but it's too one-dimensional I would like to see the contrast in styles with serving volleyers chipping and charging playing against the counter punches the, the, the girls and the guys trying to hit the passing shots so um, but no, I still think tennis is in a good place Interesting, Tim didn't mention John McEnroe, which I'm sure was an oversight. But it does beg the question about whether a grass court great like McEnroe trumps a player like Borg, who wasn't a natural grass quarter, but who won more Wimbledon titles. There's one for you to discuss in the tennis club bar, along with whether we should make the surfaces more different. Great thoughts there from Tim Henman. And you can hear more from Tim in next weekend's podcast when he talks about some of his favourite Wimbledon memories and also speaks about the psychology of the game. I can assure you it's a great listen. Let's compare Henman's views with someone playing at the top today, Stefanos Tsitsipas. The subject of grass court greats was put to Stefanos when he sat down with our reporter, Seb Lozier. Roger Federer is one of the best on that surface, and that's for a reason. He has shown so much consistency on that surface year after year. My all-time favourite, Pete Sampras, you know, much different than Roger. Obviously, Roger evolved over the years and didn't serve and volley as much as Pete Sampras did, but I... Um, I admire very much that style of tennis, you know, the serving bowling, the chip and charging. I feel like this is something that is not used as much anymore. So Pete Sambers obviously stands out uh, in my mind. And uh, players like, uh, you know, Pat Rafter are also very uh, interesting to watch. Mark Filipusis, who I have worked with, you know, um, um, despite not winning slams at Wimbledon, uh, he has had some good results there. And, you know, I would consider him one of the best too. And so when you put all those people together, what is the one thing would you say they all have in common? Is it, and does it end up being the serve on grass? It ends up being the serve, obviously, um, but also the movement, I believe. You know, they are not the fastest players on the tour in terms of explosive fast movement, but uh, they, uh, they position 
themselves so good on the court. Uh, they read play so well that that makes them well, uh, the best at the surface. And who do you think is the best player out there on grass right now? Huh, that's a good question, right? Well, in, in the last couple of years, we've seen Novak Djokovic dominate a lot on grass, but not only on grass, on other surfaces too. But despite not being the most aggressive, the most uh, kind of abrupt player out of all of them, uh, he has a very good baseline game uh, for grass courts. And um, he's probably the most difficult right now. You know, Nick Kyrgios obviously is a, is a threat as well because he can be on a very good day and play great tennis. And, you know, he doesn't play the rest of the year and just shows up at one tournament on grass and just, uh, you know, goes out there and serves big, uh, plays as if there's no, he has nothing to lose. So these are ty- type of po- opponents that can be very tricky to play against, uh, especially when you know, they're much fresher in their mind. They haven't played a lot. You know, they're much more loose than you. So opponents like him can be tricky too. Stefan Osicipas finishing talking about Nick Kyrgios, who opens at Wimbledon against David Goffa. The Mercurial Australian could meet Djokovic in the quarterfinals. That's almost it for this week. But before we go, with fans due to be flocking through the gates of Wimbledon on Monday morning, Bethany Matic-Sands spoke to two legends of the game, Mats Villander and Stefan Edberg, to get their own personal views of the championships, starting with Edberg. I can still remember the time when I first got to Wimbledon, the first time back in 1983. When you walk on top of that hill, uh, on, on top of Wimbledon, you actually see Wimbledon, you know, just the sight, seeing Wimbledon in front of you, something that you really dreamt about coming one day. My first match at Wimbledon uh, as a seeded player, yeah, I won the French Open and they put me on center court first round. I'm like, why would you do that? I haven't come to the net in like six weeks. And he was ranked in the top 30, not seated. And I won in three sets and I served and volleyed on both serves. I was like, I have to do it because they're going to laugh at me. So that was my proudest <laughs> of the moment to prove to myself I can play this kind of tennis. That's how you've always played, though. I mean, from when you were young, would you say your volleys, that was, that was your game? It sort of came around in... 15 years of age, I had a coach who actually, you know, had me do a lot of these drills, uh, which I enjoyed. And um, obviously at 15, I trained from a two-handed backhand to a one-handed backhand. First year playing on a one-handed backhand, every ball would come to my back and I would get so frustrated and eventually I would, would sort of miss and I would lose the point. And then I came to this fantastic idea if I play serve volley on both my first and second serve, they're not going to get to my backhand. And they didn't. <laughs> That's amazing. This one might be a little tougher to talk about, but your toughest Wimbledon loss. Oh, dear. <laughs> Stefan, you feel free to go because you must probably only have one or two. Going back to 89, usually I get this question about, you know, losing the French Open finally back in 89. That comes up all the time against Michael Chang. Yes, I can handle that one. But also the 1989 Wimbledon final against Boris, that was probably the toughest loss because I just lost the French Open. And then you come to Wimbledon, uh, you get to the final, you lose another final, you know, two finals in a row in a Grand Slam. And, and the way I played, you know, I had a terrible start of that final, losing first at six slam. How good does that feel? <laughs> Got back in the match in the second set, but then it was all over in three sets. And I felt really disappointing the way I lost, the way I felt on the court, and, and obviously losing two Grand Slam finals within, within a month. Uh, that took me pretty, pretty hard. 1988, I lost in the quarterfinals to uh, Miroslav Mechir. 
And I was really bummed out for about 48 hours until I realized that, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Stefan is making the finals here and we are from the same state. So I'm like, oh my God, he's winning. So thank God Stefan won Wimbledon that year. So our state won all four. And more importantly, no one ever asked me about my loss. They called Stefan and asked him about his win. So it was the worst <laughs> yeah. defeat, but it only lasted for 48 hours and the uh, limelight went to Stefan. So thank you, Stefan. Matt and Stefan, thanks again so much for doing this with us. Really appreciate your time. Pleasure. Oh, thank you. Oh, isn't Matt's just a dream? And you know, Edberg's first time at Wimbledon back in 1983 was the year he won the Grand Slam in juniors. So he walked into Wimbledon for the first time, having already won the boys' singles at the Australian Open in Roland Garros, and proceeded to win the boys' singles at Wimbledon, and later, the men's singles. Quite a feat. Our thanks to Matt Svilander, Stefan Edberg and Bethany Matic-Sands for that wonderful piece. And indeed to all our guests, Tim Henman, Nicola Mektich and Matej Pavic, Holger Runa and Carlos Alcaraz. I'm Chris Bowers and Jill Krabus has also joined me on this Wimbledon preview show. And Jill will be back next week as we look back on the first week of action. For now, enjoy the tennis. 